Welcome to Mental Awareness Discussion, the MAD Podcast, with Miles Weber, Heather Weber, and Susan Thompson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the MAD Podcast, the mental awareness discussion brought to you by Broken Drift Productions and Banana Bros. Make sure you follow them at Broken Drift Productions and at AZ Banana Bros on Instagram for all your cool swag and your even cooler content, such as this podcast you're listening to and watching right now. My name is Miles Weber. I'll be your host for this podcast. With me, as always, is my co-host in this podcast and my co-host in life, my wife, Heather Weber. Hello, dear. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you? Absolutely wonderful. Our son is swaddled and sleeping next door, and so I'm going to be whispering this podcast away to not wake him up. It's going to be a wonderful day. With us today, we're very excited to have uh, reality TV sensation and also a uh, hit DJ. Uh, we have Blake Horstman. Blake, thanks for joining us. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. Excited for this. Thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely, Absolutely. man. Absolutely. Thanks for being here. So why don't you let people listening and watching know who you are and how it is that most folks know you? Yeah, so um, uh, I'm Blake, and I uh, I live currently out here in Denver. I'm from Colorado, um, so I'm Colorado native out here in the Midwest. Uh, and most people know me from, gosh, honestly, I don't even know what season it was. Bachelor at season like 14, I believe. I think it's 14 with Becca Kufrin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then uh, Bachelor in Paradise season six. Um, yeah, so that's where p- most people know me, obviously. Uh, and then I've transitioned, uh, kind of like you mentioned, into the, the music world, DJing and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I think that's, you know, I've had quite the character arc in the public eye, uh, to say the least. So um, that's, yeah, I guess that's kind of how most people know me. Yeah, you absolutely have. Um, I So here's an interesting thing that... Um, because this is a mental health podcast, we're very intrigued about the mental health aspect of reality TV. Was there any part about being in the bachelor world uh, and the subject of mental health that you were surprised by? Were there things that were being taken into account behind the scenes that were, what were the pros and the cons of the mental health aspects that they already had in place? And what were some things that you would have liked to have seen in place? Yeah. So it's funny because I didn't really, I have, you know, I've become passionate about mental health through, through my journey and kind of my ups and downs in reality TV. Mm. Um, but before I kind of went on the show, I was completely not only oblivious to kind of, you know, mental health and the, the aspect of therapy and that kind of thing, but almost not quite against it, but I just didn't believe it. I, I was just kind of like rub some dirt on it. You know, I was like, don't talk about your problems. Like that was just kind of the way I, I grew up and then the people around me, it was never, you know, it was toxic masculinity at its best. And I did grow up like that. Um, so going into the bachelorette and any kind of reality TV, personally, I had no idea what to expect. They can't, you can't really even like prepare for anything like that. Um, so I didn't expect honestly, any kind of, um, mental health, um, I guess, you know, mental health help throughout. I just didn't expect it. And I didn't even know I had 400 followers. So I didn't know the social media aspect of, of you know, how just how nasty uh, the world can be out there. Um, so it was all really a shock to me. And honestly, I never really even had any kind of like anxiety or panic attacks. Even I grew up very sheltered. So I didn't know the problem. Biggest problem with me was I didn't know how to deal with it uh, mm. when all of a sudden um, it became a pretty common thing in my life for about, you know, probably three to four years where it was just like, I'd have these random anxiety, random panic attacks. Um, and then on the show, um, both shows, Bachelorette and Paradise, they did have a 
um, therapist, um, a psychologist on call. Like it was there all the time or close by, at least you could call and they'd be there with him. I did, unfortunately in paradise, I did ask for, and it took like two hours, which was brutal because I was like begging for one. Um, but yeah, so they they, they do, you know, they, over, over the time. And like, I, you know, I'm clearly not, I'm definitely not the first person to have, um, you know, a character art quite like this and had people mm-hmm. come at me. So they've learned from their mistakes and they are still, they're getting better, but there's still so much, I feel like they can learn and so much they can improve on. Um, but they are slowly getting better when it comes to mental health. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Cause we've, sure. we've talked, yeah, we've talked about, cause dear, we watched uh, the episode last night. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had, uh, they had a couples therapist on, we were, yeah. which we were super surprised. They seem to be trying to have like a mental health date, um, mm-hmm. which is trying, you know, they're at least putting the effort out there. Um, but we always thought that, a, a, a mental health professionals presence on camera to like, kind of break down and unpack like, Hey, why are you like this? And maybe this is kind of like where this comes from and how can we try and get you through this in a healthy way to better navigate this? Do you think that it would be helpful for them to start trying to figure out how to get a mental health professional on camera more to unpack these things? So yes and no. So I, so the, one of the coolest things about having the, the, um, the professional on staff is Mm -hmm. anything you say to her off camera, like is, you know, they, she could not run to the producers with, you know, it is very, cut and dry. Like I will not tell. And that's like the first thing, you know, it's like obviously HIPAA. And then it's just like, we will not tell. So mm-hmm. it's almost a escape uh, for us as contestants. So as far as having a professional, you know, on camera, I don't, what's, <laughs> what's crazy is you get very close to these producers, right? You get very, very close. You're spending every second of every day. And for me, it was from beginning, you know, it's three months for me on the bachelorette. So we got to very, very close and they, in a weird way, become a bit of a therapist. Um, obviously they're not professionals, you know, they don't have any kind of license mm-hmm. or anything, but they become this, I don't know, this like thing where you, you, you use them as an outlet. And so if you're having a bad day, if you're, you know, freaking out, like I was my edits quote unquote in the bachelorette was kind of that I was like losing my mind a little bit. And mm-hmm. it was hundred percent true. Like, you know, I was watching the one I love fall in love with another man. So it, I was losing my mind. You know, I call it the mental hunger game. Like that's what it feels like. It's just like, who's going to break first. Um, but I use my, my, I was very close to my producer. And I used her a lot just to like, like you just talked about, like kind of like just like sit down and like step-by-step break down how you're feeling, what you're feeling. The only problem with that is they can then edit that to be whatever they want. You know, they can mm-hmm. take words out, put words in. Mm-hmm. So it's a very shaky line, you know, kind of a fence they're trying to walk. Um, where it's like, what's right, what's wrong. So, and I, I didn't realize that when I was filming, obviously, you know, I think the first time I really encountered most, I mean, Bachelor or Bachelor in Paradise a lot when it came to editing, um, but a little bit on Bachelor, I remember being like, I didn't say that at that moment. Like I said that two days before, but they edited it into certain moments. So it's just like scary thing of like, you want to open up so bad, but then, you know, they can use that against you. You know, it's very, yeah. very hard. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause we've even talked about like, even just having a therapist at the tell all to break things down um, just a little bit more on that side of things. Um, just because you almost feel like some of the, the editing and the way that they like perceive somebody it's villainized, but then people are looking up to that a little bit more in different ways. And so like trying to bring it back down to like, well, here's the issue with what they're doing, you know, like all, oh. especially what was the last uh, Katie season, they were throwing around gaslighting and everything like that. 
Um, and so it was just really interesting. Even we listened to Nick B's podcast and he would have like therapists on talking about gaslighting. And so I just think it'd be interesting, like at the tell all to like, no, this is what it actually means. And this is what they're doing. And this is where it's coming from. Yeah. And I think it's a great, like, there are a lot of young viewers of this show. I was just on um, a podcast, you know, recently, and he talked about how his, I was on a radio station this morning and he talked about how his 11 year old daughter watches this show. And it's like, at, I was kind of like, you probably shouldn't have her watch this show at 11. You know, it was like a weird moment of like these, these women, you know, these are these young girls mostly, you know, they, they look up to some of these. Other, and like you just said, they're not always the greatest example to follow most of the time, honestly, they're not probably the greatest example to follow. So I think you're right. It'd be great to be able to break down on what's right, what's wrong. Um, that kind of thing, because the, those young minds are, you know, they can, they can uh, go both ways. Absolutely. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The, the only thing that, cause we had, um, uh, Kenny, uh, on Kenny King, the, re- the mm-hmm. professional wrestler, we had him on, um, and he was talking about the conditions and everything. And so we were thinking it might be hard to have a mental health professional on to talk about like what the motivating factors are to make people act this way, because there is a layer of it that is, well, you've taken their phones away and you've isolated them and the situations that you've put on them, this is less than ideal. So it's kind of hard to have the magnifying glass put under it because you have to have the conversation about like, you're not being the kindest to these human beings. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, cause I haven't slept in two days. I am, you know, I have some tequila in me and you know, the woman I love is on a date with somebody else. Like, yeah, it's like the ideal, you know, the environment that you're in. And I always say that the environment, that's why I always, and I try to express this to the viewers and stuff too. It's like, like you can, I always say, this is what I say. I say, you know, the people you love the most, your Kings, your Queens, they're not as good as you think. And the people you hate the most, you know, the villains are not as bad as you think everybody's somewhere in between, but in that environment, certain personality traits or, you know, whatever, certain situations might create and editing obviously might create this, this, you know, this person you're watching on television. So I always say like, have some grace for the people on the show because it, it is incredibly difficult in that environment. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is still entertainment at the end yes. of the day. Like, I they mean, they have a job to do. Yeah. yeah. They have a job to do. You can't, that can't be lost. So but let's talk about that aspect. Cause you, you keep mentioning watching somebody that you love fall in love with somebody else because you got it down to the final two. Mm-hmm. And so people may not know with the bachelor, you get down to the final two and then it's kind of this like, weird thing where it's assumed everybody's going to propose like the pressure to propose i always say like if they really wanted to expand the franchise take away the proposal and go with the steps and relationships you're skipping have them move in together that's a whole new series like that's the next step you really want to see what's going to happen but what is that like when you're in that situation you go down and then you're told no thank you you ride off into the sunset in the little black suv Give us a little breakdown of where your head's at in that moment. And then what did it do to your mental health? And then how do you even begin to cope with something like that? Mm-hmm. Gosh, first of all, I love your idea of setting like the film. Like I just watched Love is Blind and they do that. They like film them, then moving in and like living together. I love that idea. I think it's makes sense. Idea. Yeah. But so, yeah, when it comes down to that final week, I guess, if you will, you know, um, for my season, we were in the Maldives. Um, I met her family. I met Becca's family and it, you know, just picturesque, you know, perfect. Like it was just, the Maldives are incredible. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I, even before that, I want to say probably around uh, my hometowns uh, or Thailand, like I was like, yeah, I'm all in, you know? So it was never, a, they, they never needed to convince me more or less to like be in love or to propose. Like I, I, you know, I had, I was on that, you know, that, that 
train of thought for a long time. And I wanted to, mm. um, and that final week is very hard. You meet her family. Um, you go on then one final date. And there was a moment for me, I think it was the, it was when I met her family. There was a moment, obviously you don't, you, you start to get more time together as you know, it goes on hometowns, things like that. Cause everybody's like, you 10 minutes. It's like, no, you spend hours together, you know, come hometowns and you get extra time there. And all, every time, we would get like a second apart from each other and there would be cameras when I interviewing. She like jump in my arms and we're hugging, we're kissing that kind of thing. And there was a moment in the Maldives. She just got out of a interview with her mom. It looked like, like a, yeah, like a sit down with her mom. And she was kind of tears in her eyes. I could see it. And she came around the corner and I came around the corner and hundred percent of the time before we'd run into each other and we hold each other, embrace each other, do the old, you know, jump and leg wrap. Um, but she didn't. And it was more of like, she made eye contact with and kind of looked away and it just broke me because I think in that moment, I was like, oh, no, like it may not be me. I was so confident up until that moment. And it was like, oh, no, I don't think it's me. I don't think it's me. And I had this weird little like breakdown, you know, and, and it was obviously in an ITM, which is in the moment interview. We call those ITMs. And it was like this ITM where the producer was like, you know, how you feel? And I just like broke down. I was like, I, she's going to pick Garrett. She's going to pick Garrett like this. This is be terrible. This would be terrible. And, um, so I tried to say as positive as possible. And I went to that last date. I went on the last date. It's, it felt more normal again, but there still was something not quite there, but the very end of that very last date, which was literally the day before the proposal, um, I gave her a gift and she, you know, she was crying and she embraced me and we had this really cool moment. And right before she left my villa, um, she was like, tomorrow's gonna be a good day. And I was like, Oh, I was like, that was it. You know, it was like this moment of like, oh, it's going to be me, right? It's going to be me. Um, so the next day I woke up, I was all excited. I wrote my proposal, memorized it, picked out a ring. Uh, and obviously you don't know if you're first or second. You know what I mean? You don't know if you're first or second. Uh, got all dressed up. Yeah, it's brutal. Got all dressed up. Um, got to the proposal site, if you will. Probably the part was like two hours before the proposal. I'm in a freaking, I don't know if you remember, but I was like sweating a lot, like a lot, a lot. I was in this suit. It was like 120 degrees. Um, but I went, I walked up, you know, I did the whole walk up and still I, I couldn't read it on her face. Like she was incredibly well at like, not, I'm sure they told her to, you know, um, the whole speech through my proposal. Like I thought she, she, she still was like, almost like lighting up. And then it was like, boom. But I think she said something about the but, and that was when I was just like, oh, you know, and I just like broke and it just yeah. killed me. Um, and then, you know, she gave her, I don't even remember, you know, she gave a reason why I can't really remember. She was like, can I walk you out? I was like, yes. Um, walked out and yeah, I went back to my villa and that's when I was like crying into the towel. And the biggest thing was we're on this island, right? We're on this island in the Maldives. I am completely broken. I, I, the last thing I want to think about is Becca and Garrett, literally three villas over on the same island as me, probably engaged. So I was like, get me the hell off this island. Like, I can't stay here. Get me out. And, I'll, you know, I'll be, the, the executive producers, the, the therapists, they were all with me. And they're like, I'm so sorry. We can't get you out tonight. We'll get you out first thing in the morning. Um, so the next morning, you know, I cried all night, I can, you know, got no sleep the next morning. I'll never forget. We, we got on this boat to kind of drive away from the island. The sun was coming up and it was this weird moment of like, this is it. You know, it was like me. I remember leaving the island and looking back at the island and being, it was like this weird, almost, I didn't quite close the chapter on, on us or this, you know, but it was like this weird moment of like this bubble I've been living in mm. is over, you know, mm. it, it's burst. And it was a terrible feeling. Um, but at the same time, it was like this, this feeling of, cause it's such a stressful environment and high anxiety environment that I was also like, 
I'm done, you know, that kind of thing. But I actually, something really cool that ABC did for me, because I think at the time they, they thought maybe I was going to be the bachelor. Um, they took me to London for five days with me and my producer for five days. And I got to just like, on the ABC credit card. Like I just went to pubs. We went to Hamilton live, you know, we went to um, book of Mormon. Yeah. So it was a cool moment. I was still hurting obviously, but it was also like this weird healing. I just, me and my producer just, you know, kind of, you know, just kind of like almost like debriefing, you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. just kind of like having a moment of just like getting back to normal. Um, But yeah, at the time, it's this weird thing of like, again, like, you know, you get dumped and there's always that backslide, right? Like maybe you text them on a drunk night, but you don't have Becca's, I didn't have Becca's number. I probably knew 99% that she was engaged. Mm-hmm. So it was this weird of like, it's over. You know, it's like, it's over. There's no, hey, I'm going to text her when I'm drunk one night and say hi. Or like, you know, it's just over. So in a weird way, it's terrible. But in a good way, it's like, there's no maybe, you know, there's no mm-hmm. what if, you know. So it's a, it's a, just a strange, strange thing. It's a very strange thing. For yeah. sure. Yeah. We were, um, when we had Kenny on, we were talking about like how, it would be nice if they kept in contact with you, like while it was airing to check on you, were you checked on since you made it a little bit further? Yeah. So I was actually checked on a lot. Um, And I think I was, in fact, after I was only home. So the show started airing, I got home. I think the show started airing four to five weeks after. Mm. So not very, maybe not even that, maybe like three weeks. So not long. Um, and I was in contact constantly. Producers were calling me like every producer. And I think like, again, I think a lot of that had to do not only did I make it far, but I think they were trying to like, I might be the bachelor. Um, and I was actually the first person to fly out um, and do an interview for the, it was literally like the second episode of my season. They flew me out. I did the interview with all the executives at ABC and Mike Fleiss um, and actually signed to be the bachelor. And then obviously, you know, so did Jason, so did Colton and so on. Mm-hmm. They picked Colton, but so, yeah, I, I think that I am a unique case um, because I, I was very much in touch um, throughout pretty much the whole episode or the whole season. Yeah. OK, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, because that was something that Kenny said he had wished. He had wished that once the episodes are like airing, he wished that there was the check in from the mental health professional to be like, hey, let's unpack this. This is how you're being perceived by America. How do you mm-hmm. feel about that? So he said that he would have liked to have seen somebody then. You know, which I think makes a lot of sense for sure. But that's cool that they were able to check on you. But also, like, not cool that when Becca was like, tomorrow is going to be a good day. Like, that's a leading, like, like you're like, oh, my God, she's going to pick me. And she's like, no, we're having Einstein bagels in the morning. And like, (laughs) I'm super amped about it. I'm getting an everything bagel. It's my favorite. (laughs) Yeah, it's exactly right. I was I was like the one thing where I was like, yes, you know, I'm like, yes. I'm like picking up the ring. All excited. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Um, So but then. So this is when things took a turn. So you're off the show and this season that you were on seemed to be the first season where from then on out, for the most part, it seemed like there were things happening off the show that received more attention Mm -hmm. and play than what was happening on the show. And now with like it's even got with uh, Matt James's season, that was like nobody cared about the actual show. It was all what was happening off the show. Um, And so why don't you get into what happened off the show and what that was like? And then did you Mm -hmm. get backlash? Like the internet had its way with you in a way, you know, that's gotta be an emotionally taxing thing. What was that like? Yeah, I think, you know, at this point, especially like obviously my paradise season, but you know, I think the show tried so hard to hide 
the social media aspect, right? They tried to hide that people were making so much money and they tried to hide that people were in it for the wrong reasons. And then they just, I think in a way they tried to kind of like, like almost like, fuck it, let's embrace it. And let's bring it into the show. All these, mm-hmm. all these hookups and all these meetups from bachelor because before, you know, social media, like I did, you know, I, I would never be able to like contact people from past seasons, but because DMS, like you just, you know, you usually just say, Hey, how are you? I need advice, you know, things like that. Um, so all of a sudden it was like all these bachelor hook, you know, meetups were happening, like these huge parties and these huge watch parties and all this kind of stuff. Um, and obviously coming off my bachelorette season, I didn't go on that season of paradise. I just mm-hmm. wasn't ready. Um, and I didn't, I didn't really want to. And in fact, I never thought I'd go on paradise. I really didn't. Um, and then obviously it's this weird thing of like your life just changes overnight, you know, um, suddenly you're this quote unquote celebrity. And I don't want, like, I use that term loosely kind of, but in a weird way you are like, you kind of are, and it's, you've never trained for that. And sometimes like there's this imposter syndrome, right? Like, what did I do to deserve this? (laughs) Like, you know, I'm getting paid to show up at clubs, like a lot of money. And like, you know, I I can't remember for like two years, I didn't pay for a drink, you know, it's like this weird, but I'm like, why? Just because I fell in love on TV and was heartbroken. You know, there's like this weird imposter syndrome that you kind of got to get over. And you do get a lot of attention, whether it be in real life, online, whatever it is, um, your DMs go wild and get really weird. And in a weird way you do, and I don't care who you are, you do lose yourself a little bit. You do. I mean, it's hard not to, um, it's important to keep, you know, I, my family is very, you know, they kept me grounded. My close friends from, but even before the show, keep me grounded. Um, and so it would have been 2019, um, and this isn't unusual. Um, the entire cast of Stagecoach or you know, of uh, Colton season um, was at Stagecoach, and I met them all. Um, that wasn't like a big deal at all. This happens all the time. They were all at my table. I think there was like eight of them at my table. And I don't want to like gloss over the fact that like they know that I was going to be, you know, like quote unquote, like I don't I hate saying this, but like the guy on the beach the next season, you know, like I had the most followers. Um, I was F2, you know, I was, you know, I was like, the guy's probably getting the most screen time. So yeah, of course they're all in my DMS and, you know, we're talking and like, that's not this unusual thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been like that for years, you know, it's been like that for years. And like I said, I think my season was the first time they decided like, let's bring it on the show. And mm-hmm. it was a big deal. Um, but yeah, obviously going into paradise, you know, I had at the time I had been with Christina and then Kaylin at stagecoach. Very casually, um, you know, I, at the time, I didn't think there was anything at all wrong with it. It was just very casual mm-hmm. and they both knew that I knew that. And we hit the beach and I had heard rumblings obviously before. And that's the reason I went and saw Hannah. I wanted to just tell her the truth about everything before the producers used it against me on the beach. That didn't work out. That backfired pretty bad, but <laughs> yeah, pretty bad. But the, uh, the week leading up to paradise, I was very nervous because I was like, I backed out at one point. I called um, one of the producers. I texted one of the producers. Was like, you know, I'm hearing what you're going to do to me. I'm hearing rumors. Like, I'm out. Like, I'm out. You know. And they called me, and they're like, No, we'd never do that. You're the golden child. Like, if anything, we'll get you out of there, and you'll be the next bachelor. You know. And they got me. They fucking they worked me, and it worked. Um, and the by the the first day down on the beach wasn't. You know, obviously it, the way it's edited. You know, sometimes like the first four days or like the first episode, you know? And I'm like, so the actual first day on the beach, not bad. It was like, whatever, it's fun to see everybody again. And I did kept saying like, ah, oh, we met at stagecoach. I was like, that's when I met everybody. Um, but come 
the second day that night is when shit hit the fan. And mm-hmm. I, I had a full on blown panic attack and like horrible on the show. And that's when I said, you know, I was like, I need a, I need a therapist now. I need a therapist now. And this is another kind of shady thing they did. They were like, um, she's two hours away at the hotel, which is true. They, the hotel, that production says that was like two hours away. And I was just like having a breakdown. I was like hyperventilating. And they're like, do you want to sit in an ITM? And I was so desperate to talk to somebody that I said, yes. Now going back mm-hmm. at that, that was like very shitty thing on their part to do. They're like, let's get you on camera as you're having a mental breakdown. Um, and that was, it was hard. I talked for like two hours, three hours on this ITM to this producer. And it was just, it was really bad because at the time I, I was just, I have a tendency to like think the worst. Mm. <laughs> this was worse than I could have imagined as it mm. when it aired. But at the time I was just like, everybody's going to hate me. Like I didn't mean to hurt anybody. This is terrible. Like my family's going to watch this. Like this, this is going to turn out terrible. I was just having this whole anxiety attack about everything. And the whole time down there, I basically had like, a, you know, I was down there thir- 13 days, I think 12, 13 days. And a 12 day panic attack. Like every day, like I just couldn't sleep. And it was just like terrible, terrible for me the entire time down there. Um, and so when I got home, I got home finally and I was in bed. I didn't leave bed for about three months, probably maybe more. And the first, the first month, cause that, that was longer. It was six weeks. So I had to wait six weeks for paradise there. Uh, like I said, I, I was, you know, just expecting the absolute worst. And I was in bed. I, I just felt like the whole world was coming down on me. I had people keep telling me like, it's not gonna be as bad as you think. It's not gonna be as bad as you think. I remember calling certain people from the beach, even Caitlin, and she was like, it's not going to be as bad as you think. Like, it'll be fine. They would never air some of the things. Like, I remember Jordan Kimmel being like, dude, they would never air. Because I had heard that Kaylin said that I silenced her. Like, I think Demi told me, like, she was like, yeah, Kaylin said you silenced her. I was like, what? I was like, that is so ridiculous. So I remember freaking out and calling everybody. And Jordan Kimmel was like, dude, they would never air something like that. That would be terrible. Like, that's like, that's like, you know, it's like, you're almost like at that point, like, you know, sexual predator, like he would never. And then sure enough, that was like something they aired over and over and over again. And so the first two episodes I actually got to watch before I was actually in Montreal and I'll never forget. I got a call from the producer who I was kind of close with. And she was like, I've watched the first two episodes. It's pretty bad. And if a producer says it's pretty bad, it's, it's bad. horrible. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really like bad. Really, it's really bad. Shit. Yes, yeah. exactly. And then they try to stay positive, usually optimistic. So I instantly, I, I had another panic attack. I was actually at a music festival. Then we had to leave me and a couple of friends had to leave the music festival because I was just having a panic attack. I was able to get the show. So this was Saturday. I was able to get the show Saturday and I watched the first two episodes. And that's when I was like, I'm going to burn this mother down. I was like, if they want to try and, you know, mess with me this much and Franken bite me and do all these things, make me look like a monster. Like I'm not going to play their game. And that's when I decided, you know, to do what I did, the, the text messages um, and just to fight back against the man, if you will, you know, I was like, I'm going to fight back. And it was the hardest decision of my life. Like I think a lot of people think I did it out of spite or I did it to ruin Kalen or I did it to, to break, you know, to like break everybody. And like, that is not the case. Um, I was, that was, it was very hard decision for me. Um, I just felt, you know, backed into a corner like I didn't have a choice and I'll never forget. I've pushed the send button and I was having the worst panic. I was actually up at my mom's. Um, I was having the worst panic I've ever had. I had to take my clothes off. I was laying out on the, on the front porch, just mm-hmm. breathing into a paper bag, begging for help. I was telling my mom to call an ambulance. I was just like, 
I need, like, I didn't know what was how I was dying. Um, I was trying to be like, I was on the phone with a therapist. Um, she was trying to talk to me and it was just, it was a very dark point in my life. And it, it, you know, it lasted for another two to three months um, where I just, I just felt like the world around me was crumbling because the world I knew was crumbling around me. Um, and, and the internet is just, I mean, as you guys have seen and know, it's ruthless. Mm-hmm. And it was this weird thing of like, I was getting all this hate for the first two episodes. Um, I lost like 80,000 followers in like two days, but then I dropped the text messages and it was this weird reversal um, of like, I gained 200,000 followers in two hours. And I had like 1.5 million views on my story before I deleted it in two hours. And, but then I had a, almost like a different people come. So all those people were like, Oh shit, she lied. But then I had another group of people coming out and being like, you can't release private text messages, even if she was in the wrong, like it was this weird thing. I felt like I couldn't do anything right. You know, I felt like I was just, I was hopeless. I was helpless. I had nobody to turn to. Um, so it was very hard for me. And that was when I realized, obviously, I mean, and the year kind of prior, like mental health, the people who have like chronic anxiety, chronic panic attacks, who, who daily like go through this are like the strongest people in the world. And I cannot imagine the amount of strength it takes to live a normal life. And that was like a big turning point for me of like, I want to talk about this. I want to, mm-hmm. to be this outlet for people and to possibly, you know, I, I got therapy and I still in therapy, you know? And so it's like this thing of like, it was like almost a blessing in disguise. Like I, I hit my rock bottom and as low as you can get, I say, everybody hits a rock bottom at some point, just at some people's are deeper than others. Um, but that was my rock bottom. And so to come out of that, I leaned on family and therapy and it, it wasn't an overnight thing. You know, I think some people yeah. think one round of therapy is going to fix them. And that's not the case. It took months, uh-huh. months of therapy. Um, and, and slowly, but surely I started to exercise again. I had an exercise for like three months and I got out of my bed. I took walks, you know, starting a block, then two blocks and three blocks. And so it, it, I just want to remind people it doesn't happen overnight. And thankfully I had a good support system around me. Cause there were, there were some very dark moments I had. Um, and I think there's a lot the show could have done. You know, I think the show didn't really do anything until the last second until they realized just how bad it was for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that, yeah, and I, like I said, they're getting better, but there's still so much more they can do. For sure. Well, since, I mean, like you said, there's no way to prepare for something like this and it's such a unique situation that you were in, especially how did you find the right therapist right away? Because it's, is there like a therapist that specializes in reality TV or so how was that? That's actually a great question. Um, so no, I, I didn't, it took me, I think she was my third or fourth therapist. I think it was my fourth therapist, um, before I was like, this is the one, like, I don't know, you know, I can't explain it really. Um, but she, I think, you know, I, I never really asked her if she knew who I was. I don't think she knew who I was, but she'd obviously, everybody knows the show, you know, everybody knows the, 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 whether it be the bachelorette bachelor or paradise. So she knew of the show and everything. And I never straight up asked her, like, did you watch my season? Cause I don't think she did by the way she acted. Um, but it was this, actually, I'm glad she didn't necessarily work with other reality TV people or, you know, or even in the entertainment business, she's just a local um, therapist here in Denver, because I think, I think in a weird way, like, I, you know, if, if you get, cause it's such a unique experience when you go on reality TV and nobody can really compare to. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to almost get brought back, 
you know, almost brought back to earth rather than, mm-hmm. you know, stay up there in this weird, unique experience. So it was almost, yeah, it was kind of, it was better. I think that she didn't know who I was and didn't have other reality TV. And I can't exactly, I'm terrible. Cause I can't remember the name of the actual therapy I did, but it's, it's the therapy where you like hold, you know, two things in your hand and they're vibrating and you yeah. can't think of the name of it right now. But I did that for like a solid two months um, to kind of, I guess, kind of like break out of that, like almost PTSD in a weird way of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For beautiful, sure. beautiful. That's mm-hmm. good that that helped you. Cause I was going to ask what were the things in therapy that really switched on the lights for you in your head where there was there like cognitive behavior therapy or was there any type of things that you're like, man, this really clicked for me. And I don't know what I would have done without that nugget. Yeah. So there wasn't anything in spe- like specific, like okay. going to be like a sentence or word or something like that. Like I can't remember the exact moment, but um, it was definitely just, I had this thing of where I, I'll never forget. I got this update one day on my phone when I was going, like it was very dark period. And it was like a CNN update. And I remember I was so infatuated with like the, my world and what was happening around me that I thought this CNN update on my phone was going to be about me. Like that's how in such a bad place I was that everybody was out to get me. Um, And remember I opened it and it was like something like super terrible about, you know, the real world. And it kind of brought me back to like, you know, like, my little bubble of reality TV isn't as big as I think. And so I remember that being like a weird moment for me of being like, just remember like, yes, the show is you know huge and everything, but at the same time, like not that many people care. Like, nobody gives, yeah. you know, everybody's going to forget in a year, like nobody cares, you know? Right. So that was like a moment for me. I remember. And then, yeah. And then as far as therapy, it was just, I think the greatest thing that she did for me was just listen like, I think a lot of people think they, especially therapists, sometimes it's like, oh, they think they have the answer. And for me, I just more than anything, I just kind of needed to vent and I just kind of needed to get it all out and to go back to certain moments. And because ex- I, I was also huge at like, what if, like, w- w- I wish I would have said this. I wish I would have said that the reunion, I went to the reunion thinking I was going to get an apology and I just got attacked. And I remember being like, and I just went fetal position. And I remember thinking like, I wish I would have been more stirred and like attacked and been a little angrier, you know? And so it was like going through that, like, well, what would have happened if you had done that? Like, what if you would have acted a different way? And then, you know, kind of seeing how that journey would go. And so it wasn't, so I would stop just, I would stop saying what if, and that was a big thing for me. I couldn't move past that moment because I kept thinking, what if I said this, what if I did this? Um, so just kind of like doing every possible um, solution and then seeing how that would end and then being like, you know what? It doesn't matter. You know, at this point, it doesn't matter. At, at the end of the day, no matter what choice you make in life, there will be desirable and undesirable variables that will rear their heads and you will have to deal with those things and react to them accordingly when they show up. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, like, yeah, that, that is great that you were able to kind of dispel the what if factor. That's wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're also, um, you, you've been a DJ for a while now as well. And so yeah. how is your, has that helped your mental health at all? Or have there been aspects about DJing as a performer now that have been kind of interesting with the mental health? Because as a performer, as a comedian, I know like you do the show, the energy is real high after the show, everybody loves you. They're buying the drinks, what's up pictures. And then all of a sudden you go back to the hotel room and it's quiet and why can't I sleep until tomorrow? Like, so <laughs> have you been experiencing any of the problems with like the adrenaline rise and the crash after a show? Have you been able to navigate that? Or are there any other aspects that have been like helpful or surprising in the DJing world? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. And I haven't talked about this too much, but it is mm-hmm. an interesting um, segue, I guess, because I was lost a little bit coming off paradise. Um, you know, that year between bachelor and paradise, 
it's like I at the at about halfway through, I, I, I knew I was going to do paradise, you know, six months before paradise. I was like, I'm probably gonna do paradise. So it was like this weird moment in my life where I knew that there was this next chapter going to pop up without me even doing anything really, you know, I just was going to go on the show. So I was, I didn't worry about what am I going to do in my future? What am I gonna do with my life? Cause I didn't know, you know, what, how paradise was going to go. So I was just like living my life. I had no real direction. Um, I had quit my job. I was just kind of doing appearances and traveling. And so going into paradise, I thought, I honestly thought I was going to meet somebody and I thought it was, that was going to be the next chapter. And so when I got off paradise, I didn't, not only did I not meet anybody, but now I've got this weird, like bad boy image, if you will. And like this weird now new reputation that I'm trying to deal with. I'm trying to still be myself too. And like who I am and music was an outlet for me. Um, and trying, you know, I, I realized like, so actually Caitlin Bristow, um, she does this live podcast tour. Uh, and at the time I was still under contract. Um, so I couldn't be on the pod. So the way we got around that was for me to DJ, this tour and I bought the controller, you know, I did all the things and I had messed around before with it. Um, and it was, it was like this weird, I remember crying when she texted me, I was on an airplane. She texted me. I remember tearing up because again, I thought I was just like never going to be allowed in bachelor nation again. You know, I just, it was like this weird thing of like, my life is over. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go back to my work selling beer. Um, and it was like this, you know, this like branch of like, Hey, and I'll, I'll forever owe her this, you know? And it was like, Hey, like we still, you know, want you and stuff. It was like, we still, you know, we still want you to be around us. And then the crowds still enjoying me and, you know, kind of going crazy. And then when I start DJing and like you talked about the energy of these crowds after the third show, I was addicted. I was like, this is what I want to do. You know, I was like this, this, the energy. And I, I, you know, I'm getting very, very good at DJing, but I think the thing that stand, you know, I stand apart from maybe other performers is my, my energy and my, my stage presence, the way I can interact with the crowd. And so I was just instantly like addicted. And I was like, this is what I want to do. And I took classes and I've gotten very, very good. And I'm traveling the country. I'm doing three cities this weekend. And like, it's just, it's pretty crazy right now. And the traveling aspect uh, has been, very interesting. Um, and it's, it's, it weighs on me. I I've learned to cope because like I used to go into a city, like if I played Chicago on a Saturday, I'd go on Thursday to Monday and I'd party, I'd hang with friends. Not anymore. I'm in Saturday morning. I'm out Sunday morning. I'm in and out. Um, you know, it's my, not everybody thinks like I drink a ton and I really don't like I work, you know, it's work for me. I don't drink when I DJ really, I have like a you know drink or two. Um, and you're right. This like weird. And I think the reason I don't drink as much is because you do get this weird high. It's like a high when you're out there, when you're up on stage and you're feeling the energy of other people. And like I said, everybody's loving you and, you know, and then you come off the stage and you back to your hotel room and it's this weird, it's like a deafening silence. Almost it's a deafening silence, not just a silence. It's this weird, like you're so high then all of a sudden you're so low. And so I've tried to cope with, that's why I don't really drink. Cause I get bad anxiety. I call it like hangover anxiety. Mm-hmm. So I don't do that anymore. I just really don't get drunk on show nights because I know the next morning I'm going to wake up and just like, be like, what am I doing with my life? I'm 32 and I'm DJing for a living. You know, I'm like, where am I? So it's this weird, like, um, high and then low. And I've, you know, I've learned to cope with that. I don't drink as much anymore. Um, and I'm in and out of cities. I'm in and out of cities, but one of the coolest parts about, not only does it make you feel alive when you're on stage, but just before stage, I'm sure you can kind of, you know, that that like nervous anxiety, stress, but like excitement that you get right before you hit the stage. It's kind of like brought me back to life. Like I feel, you know, 
invigorated again, you know, revigorated. It's just like this weird feeling of like, I'm almost been missing this in my life. You know, this is like something I've almost been missing. So I'm, I'm super excited about the future that the, the DJ career, my DJ careers is going to have and everything. So, um, but it is a different, it's a different beast all on its own. Like I dealt with reality TV, anxiety and stress. Now I'm dealing with this uh, life on the road, uh, you know, stress and anxiety. So it's, it's, it's interesting learning every day. Has like, Everything from The Bachelor leaked into DJing? Have you been accepted and received well? Or how's that worked out for you? No. Yeah, great question. So, um, you know, any kind of... So in the DJ world, we'll talk about being accepted in the reality TV world and the DJ world. In the DJ world and the music industry, you know, celebrity, anything, DJ, celebrity, singer, celebrity, whatever, it takes a very long time to gain respect in the industry. And I get it. Honestly, like I get it. Like if I, if I saw Blake from the bachelorette on a poster at a club, I'd be like, the fuck, you know, I'm like, this guy thinks he can DJ now. Um, so I get it. I get it. But I put in the work and I, you know, and I think now it's starting to pay off quite a bit. I love like I, this girl posted, I played a uh, Denver this last weekend and this girl posted this amazing reel and it was a bachelorette party. And one of her friends hated me was just like, she like that like video was like, you excited to go see Blake? She's like, fuck that guy. I don't want to go see him. Like, it's going to be terrible. And then it's this video of her, like her journey through my show. And it's just like her kind of warming up to me. And then about, you know, halfway, she's like, oh, this is guy's pretty good. And yeah. And then hour 15 minutes in, she's like, he is my dream guy. This is the best <laughs> night of my life. And then by the end of it, she's like, Blake, will you marry me? You know? So it was like, this cool journey. And I'm like, I literally post it, repost it. I was like, this is the journey that everybody goes through at my show. Like a lot of people just show up to think it's going to be a fun, cool, get some pics. And then by the end of it, they're like, Oh, he's actually a pretty good DJ. So I just got to continue to put in the work. Um, you can't like buy respect. You can't beg for respect. So it's just kind of like, I'm just going to do the work and it'll just come, you know, that's why at least I hope it will just come. Um, and then shockingly, I thought I'm, I was very nervous. The very first time, my very first gig, big gig, was second gig ever was premier Borgata in Atlantic city. Like one of the biggest clubs in Atlantic city. And I was like, yeah, very nervous. And I posted a flyer and that was really when I was like, I'm a DJ, you know, it was like this, like I'm a DJ and I was so nervous for it because I was like, people, I think, and you know, people are going to be like, what a joke, you know, that kind of thing. But it, in a weird way, actually it, it was embraced a little bit within bachelor nation and actual like, you know, bachelor people, like other contestants and other alumni. And so now when I go to cities and they'll see that I'm on the roster for that city, every bachelor alum will hit me up. Even other reality TV stars, the cast of love is blind season two came to my gig in Chicago before it had aired. Yeah. They came to my gig in Chicago. So it's this cool thing of like, not only will you come see me DJ and you'll have a great time, but there'll also be all these other crazy reality TV stars there. So that's kind of like something I also bring to the table at some of these clubs and bars and everything. So it's pretty cool. actually. That's awesome. I love that. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, um, yeah, man, I think, I think we covered a lot of ground, man. This was absolutely fantastic. Thanks a million for being so open, honest and transparent. Dear, anything else you want to say to Blake before we ride off into the sunset? I mean, I just commend you for opening up. I mean, like you said at the top of the podcast, you know, coming from a lot of people that are like, oh, just rub some dirt on it or people thinking like, oh, it's a hard life, you know, as a celebrity or reality TV star. And, you know, you got to peel back the curtain a little bit and, you know, learn it's not all it's cracked up to be, you know, there's perks with everything, but um, so thank you so much for opening up. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. No, thanks for having me guys. I appreciate it. And um, let me know, like, you know, when all this airs, I'll posts and all that stuff. So yeah, absolutely. Let folks know uh, where they can follow you online. And if you want to promote anything, yeah. Where, where can they follow you? 
Yeah, follow me on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Malakay.H. And um, yeah, keep an eye out. I'll be hopefully in a city near you DJing and having a good time. So come on out. Um, yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate Hell it. Oh, yeah, man. We'll hit you up when you're in Vegas DJing and we'll come out and see you. That's where we're I'm going to actually be pretty soon, I think. So, yeah. Oh, like yeah. Hey, yeah. That's yeah. exciting. Yeah, we'll hit you yeah. up. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So, yeah, follow him online. Make sure you check out his tour dates. Uh, if you can follow me online at Miles Weber Joker. Heather runs the podcast for the, or Heather runs the social media for the podcast, rather, at Mad Podcast. So, we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for joining us. Bye, everybody. Mm.